Dr. Bill Baker, the founder of Leading Edge Training Systems, was an early trailblazer in the use of physical metaphors in business trainings, therapy, and coaching. Today we'll talk about his years of conducting ropes courses at Tony Robbins' certification courses, his meetings with Dr. Milton Erickson, and much more on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. All right, so I am here with my old friend, <laughs> Bill Baker. <laughs> old in that, in that I know I've known you for a long time, Bill Baker. Yes, please make that clarification. Yes. <laughs> young, young at heart, and in every other way, really, basically, Bill Baker. Um, it's so good to see you again. How are things out there in Colorado? Oh my! Well, you know, life is great. Um, I've got the Rocky Mountains right outside my front door. Uh, the 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 fires out here over the the last several months have been pretty nasty, but the skies are clear now, and we can see the mountains and snow caps on the mountains. Life is grand. Great. Life is wonderful. Great, great. And you are also about to become a grandfather. I've been I'm going to be a grandfather. Is yes. it okay for me to say that? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's okay. fine. Um, I was asked not to share it on social media, so I don't know. That may not be okay. But <laughs> no one listens hey. to this. Okay. <laughs> Just as long as none of your listeners post it on Facebook or anything, I think we're good. Yes, I'm going to have a grandson Great. come uh, May of 21. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. beautiful. So, Bill, I met you a long time ago when I was first getting certified. And, and, yeah, and back when we were really young, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, actually, actually <laughs> young. Um, it was a while ago, and I, I was my first certification course with Tony Robbins in I don't know where is it Scottsdale, Arizona. That would have been our first. Yep, and um, it was I think maybe the first, or maybe no second Tony Robbins certification NLP certification, at least of that scale. And um, Tony was always fond of doing things like, you know, a firewalk to show the efficacy of NLP that if you keep your eyes up, look at the visual like in NLP and say things like cool moss, you know, so the auditory is flooded, that you can do amazing things like walk across hot burning coals. So that was his like big metaphor that he did. And when I got to uh, the certification course, I didn't know what these like big telephone poles were doing out there in the desert and um, with like trapezes hanging from them and stuff and i go like what's what's going on over there is there a circus in town or something what's, what's happening here and then I, then i found out that that was part of the process that was part of the certification thing and that we were supposed to climb up them telephone poles and jump off and try to hopefully catch that trapeze but just in case we missed there was um there was you with a rope. Yeah, we were blowed with our hands out, ready to catch it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this was your contraption. This was your thing. Can you can you tell me what I don't know about? How did this begin? Where did this oh this metaphor of the ropes course? You know, where you, you know, obviously you've got you've got 
straps on and you're not going to die. But it's still really, I can tell you, anybody who hasn't ever done it, it's really amazing what your body goes through when you start climbing 50 feet up and over this, True. stand on top of this little telephone pole and then jump off it to try to catch a trapeze. The fact that you've got a harness on and a thing is that you're fine doesn't enter your mind. It's just your body is going, I'm going to die. You know, it's just an amazing situation. And you are, you are amazing. And that's where I, it's where I fell in love with you and your partner, Terry Henderson. I mean, you guys were just so amazing at, you know, talking people like me through this process and, and making sure that this very intense experience was framed in a way that it became really for most people, a life changing experience. It's a, Powerful, powerful metaphor. So talk to me about that. Well, I, I could begin the story with how we got introduced to the whole idea of a ropes course, which had been several years prior to our meeting, or or I could even begin with where we connected with Tony and his organization and how it got incorporated into those programs. Do you have a preference of where to begin the story? Yes, I do. I want you to start actually maybe even further back than that. You you have a PhD in, what is it? Uh, Applied behavioral studies is the technical term. And in an academic world, it falls between educational psychology and counseling psychology. I simply describe that degree as being the how and why people behave the way they do. Mm. So it, it's a lot of developmental. It's a lot of of. Uh, uh, change behavior, uh, change, yeah, psych- psychological changes of behavior. It, it, it incorporates a whole range of, of the understanding of how behaviors get started and okay. continue. And, and would you say that this idea of a ropes course grew out of that, that discipline? That, uh, way oh. Well, technically, no. Okay. No, the the idea of the ropes course in itself as an activity actually began over in the United Kingdom, over in Great Britain, in the um, um, middle of the uh, of the twentieth century, and got brought to the U.S. through outdoor adventure programs like Outward Bound, mm-hmm. as an example, as a way to um, begin making changes. Uh, in, in confidence, self-esteem, locus of control, things of that sort. And uh, at, the, at the time I was introduced to the whole concept of the ropes course, now it's referred to as uh, the industry has changed its name to the challenge course. Okay. But the way I was introduced to it is um, I was working at the uh, Psychological Service Center in Oklahoma State University, and along with Terry Henderson, my, my business, soon-to-be business partner, as you mentioned. So that's where you met? That, yeah. And the Outdoor Adventure Program folks came to one of our um, staff meetings and basically said, the vice president has agreed to pay for the construction of this contraption if we get one other department on campus to use it. And they showed us this real cool little slideshow, and they threw in a bunch of psychobabble terms like what I just shared, uh, locus of control, Mm -hmm. self-esteem, some of those pieces. And I remember Terry and I looking at each other and saying, this looks like fun. (laughs) Yeah, we'll use it. (laughs) Now, we didn't have a clue how. 
And um, the folks did go ahead and build it. And we were some of the first to get out there and begin using it. And, and, and you got to remember at this point, the, to my knowledge, the only, this is like late 1970s, somewhere in that neighborhood. And the only other non um, outdoor adventure program like Outward Bound that used it was uh, Miniature Clinic. Hmm. And no one was was certain what this tool was or how it would, could be used. Now, to complete the story, for at least a couple of years, Terry and I and some others there in the in the department had been following, you know, Bandler and Grinder around. This is when they were just getting started with NLP and uh, delivering their trainings in small little towns in the Midwest. Well, maybe not small, Kansas City, some places like that, but mm-hmm. small groups within that. And we began getting associated with it. And the the beauty of the ropes course, the challenge course, is it really does begin to draw out of the individual strengths that they didn't realize they had. Now, that's for the individual. For us as therapists, what it did a phenomenal job of was showing us where folks were having challenges with the different strategies they were using that they were coming to therapy for. Mm-hmm. And it was real easy to be able to see that in, in an environment that kind of blows everything up in magnitude. Yeah. The risk has a way of really um, disrobing a lot of the defenses and, and um secrets that people hold and and gets gives us a a a mirror right into what is needed it it was a marvelous tool and we began using it as part of our intake in in the in the counseling center it was it was so cool now so somebody comes to you for therapy and say okay good let's let's take a walk outside for a minute Pretty much, yeah. Come next Monday, or, you know, come at 8 o'clock, bring a sack lunch, bring $5, you know, all this kind of stuff. Be ready to sign your life away in a, in a waiver, and we're going to be gone all day. That was that was the instruction. We gave them no clue what was in store for them. Mm-hmm. Now, if we fast forward a couple of years, um, Terry and I, in addition to all of the work we had done in, in learning NLP, We'd had the opportunity to visit with Milton Erickson, another connection that okay, has been can really. Can I just stop important. you for a second here? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> let me just let me just I just I let it slide before when you said you followed Bandler and Grinder around. Um, so I want a little bit more information on that, but also then you met with Erickson. So okay, so backing up, you followed okay. Bandler and Grinder around. You went to a number of these. Um, a number, yeah. I, I wouldn't even be able to recall how many um i'm I'm guessing five or six whatever the the first extensive program that they held out in monterey california or along the coast near monterey um we participated in it was a i can't even remember seven days or something of that sort Mm -hmm. um yeah it it was it was exciting now doug you got to remember I'm coming from a an academic training that was very 
Rogerian, Carl mm. Rogers, you know, yeah. Hum- yeah. humanistic. Let's reflect everything. And from a therapist standpoint, I would get impatient. Mm. I, I, it's like, come on, let's, let's move this along. I love the concept of NLP. I love the idea of being more active and being able to create results quicker. We even changed one of the metrics that we had in our, in our service from, you know, uh, or, or changed it to how few sessions you could work with a client before you were able to help them get an outcome. I mean, it's like, as opposed to where we would have been in terms of training, let's make this as long as possible kind of hmm. thing. Hmm. So hmm. It, it was really a different orientation to the whole field for me. It's really interesting. You know, uh, you, you know Frank Fairley, right? Yeah. Frank Fairley. I know also, of him. Yeah. He was also a Rogerian. He was also mm-hmm. from that background. And also, like you, had, had got impatient with the process. And at one point he was going like, okay, we got to just change this. And then he, you know, he wasn't doing NLP. He created his own thing from there, but it was really kind of coming from that Rogerian reflective, taking as much time as it needs to take, you know, oh, really? And tell me, you know. And, and how do you feel like, about feeling that way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So it's, it's interesting that there was both there. Now, okay, so you followed them around and then finally you got a chance to go to see Milton. Well, tell me about that. Yeah, that it was I, I'm guessing somewhere about a year before Milton passed. And, and at that time he would take, um, he, he would meet with folks in, in the garage at, in the back of his house. It was kind of set up in a, in a quasi office with the dogs all right there. It, it was, it was quite, quite homey. Um, and, you know, I don't know if he, to talk to folks who had that opportunity, even at the end of the day, you might, if you were lucky, be able to remember half of what happened, you know, the, the, the trance that you'd move in and out of through the course of the day uh, of any day was just an amazing experience. So um, where I was headed with all of that, and you know, Milton was a big advocate of the use of metaphors. Right. So telling metaphors and stories. And so after returning from Arizona and visiting Milton, Terry and I had been out on the ropes course with a group. And at the end of every day, we'd kind of come back and be sitting in his hot tub, reminiscing about all the fun things that had happened through the course of the day. And it dawned on us that the ropes course was nothing more than a different form of metaphor than a story. And we, I, we started using the term physical metaphor. Mm-hmm. Now, retrospectively, I've searched, I have found no references in literature that I've got access to, to any, anything, any use of the term physical metaphor prior to me. I, I wrote an article about it in one of Tony's, quarterly magazines somewhere around 1980 or something of that sort. But the, the, the idea of it being a, a way to change behavior before even starting to talk about what changes need to happen. 
making those little changes in the strategies. I, I've since run across a quote from Milton that, that really, I think, describes what we were doing. And, and, the, and the quote goes, change will lead to insight far more often than insight will lead to change. Hmm. That's and beautiful. we were creating that kind of behavior change. And, and it, in so many, I, could I give you an illustration? Maybe, maybe <laughs> I, that would help. Can you tell me a story? Is that what you're saying? Are you asking if you can tell me a story? <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> I, I have a specific memory of this woman who came out on the ropes course. She had been one of my clients. And this lady, bless her heart, she'd, She'd been married twice previously. She was in her third marriage. It wasn't looking good. And she was, emotionally, she was a mess. And one of the activities out on this course is a log that was suspended by cables. So it had the ability to swing only about 16, 18 inches off the ground. And we had people lined up on either side to be there to spot if they were starting to fall off. And this, bless this heart, this woman's heart, she got up there and twice began to walk across the log and would step off, not necessarily fall off, step off the log after about three steps both times. I pulled her aside and my conversation with her was, tell me what's going on. What When you're standing there, tell me what you're doing. And she goes, I'm focusing on this one spot on the log. And I go, okay. And what happens at that spot? And she goes, that's where I step off. It's like, okay. Then let's do this. Let's stand here. And I want you to practice imagining where each footstep is going to be all the way across the log. That's, that's the only, only change that happened. After practicing that a few times, she gets up on the log and she walks across. Now, in our sessions afterwards, you can imagine what she had shared with me. And that was, you know, I had always imagined every one of these previous marriages that it wasn't going to last. You know, and it's like, what happens when you change that to thinking it may get all the way to the end, the end of, of life, you know, and, and those kinds of shifts is what we were able to observe and, and be a part of. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm reminded as you talk about that, that Milton often would give people task assignments, you know, like to go climb Squaw Peak or that sort exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. He, he was famous for that. Go, go to the... Um, horticultural garden where all the cactuses are, and there's a, there's a particular cactus that you're going to find that is meaningful to you, and uh, and then people would do that, you know, count the blades of grass, and then what to discern how many different colors there are, you know, keep track of how many different colors there are in the, in the grass, and these these things would always, for some reason, be done by people. They would actually do them. <laughs> which well, yeah, I mean, we me. made a commitment to get there, right? <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So so to me, it's like it's it's an extension of that. He might not have called those physical metaphors, but it seems like it's 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 got a long history when you finally think about it. Absolutely, and and that's why the connection became so clear to us. This is nothing more than a physical metaphor. Now, yeah. Yeah. if if you're willing to jump with me a few years now, sure. 
Um, Terry and I have moved to San Diego where Tony was in his mm-hmm. office and um, apparently had he, Tony and his organization had heard about what we were doing. We were running ropes courses. Um, this was the mid 1980s and in business, there was a lot of change, a lot of mergers, acquisitions going on. And one of the things we did a lot of was take the, two executive teams from the merging companies out on the challenge course and give them a chance to start working together as a team. Uh, His organization heard about us. Bottom line, we had a meeting with his business manager, a a fellow named Dave Muller, and, and so, so many wonderful memories of Dave. And we were sitting there having lunch with him, and he goes, what we would like to do is have you give us a proposal for some kind of extravagant event that you could create using this ropes course concept that would be challenging, that would be spectacular. And he gave us several different criteria like that. You can imagine what it might be having gone through, you know, a number of programs with Tony, but, um, we immediately suggested something, this, the power pole at like what you were describing. And, and up to that point, generally speaking, it was you climb and stand on top of this 25, 30 foot pole and you jump out and catch a trapeze in front of you. And I remember Dave looking at me and saying, I'm not sure that's going to get Tony's attention. At which time, Terry says, what if we made the pole 50 feet? And you can see Dave's <laughs> eyes get real big. And has anyone ever done that? And it's like, shit, we didn't know. But it's like, to our knowledge, no. And he goes, let's do it. <laughs> and what you saw in Scottsdale out there in that brushy field was the first time we had been invited to be a part of his course. Wow. Yeah. It was really something, I will tell you. And, and it, it became my favorite place to go. I, I was I, I got on Tony's staff soon after that, you know, but became a trainer and then a master trainer for his organization. And whenever we came to wherever we were um, at the next event that we took place, I'd be like, okay, where's the ropes course? Where's Bill? Where's, where's Terry? And, and it would just hang out with you guys as much as possible. And, it just was. And all that time, I thought it was because you liked us. You were just excited about the polls. Okay. I, I now understand, no, Doug. I, no, it was, it was you, Terry. It was all you. <laughs> so, uh, all you. I just called you Terry. I'm sorry about that. But it was all you, Bill. Really, I meant that. Okay, yeah, okay. From the bottom of my heart. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, it was, it was. I, I will tell you, I, I earnestly believe this is true. Um, those events were life-changing for so many people. And, and uh, they were, I think a lot of it happened there at the at the ropes course. And there were various ones. There were ones, you know, that it wasn't just jumping out to the trapeze. You mentioned the, the, the pole, that, that the log that swings back and forth. There was one for so the relationship thing where the, yeah. the ropes, yeah. the, the cable veed out. Yeah. Right. We called it the commitment bridge. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the two cables were in the shape of a V and you you and your partner would start at the closest end of the V where the, the cables were right there together. And at the farthest end, those cables were 10 feet apart, which required you to be fully extended and be totally willing to allow your partner 
to support you. That's the only way it could work. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a beautiful metaphor. It really was. About relationships yeah. and, and what's required to make them work. You know, I saw, I saw some people out there be going like, lean on me, honey, lean on me, where the, the man would be standing straight up and she'd be like straight, you know. Right, out. right. And right. Of course, that's not going to work. It might work five feet in, but not 10 feet out. So, yeah, very, yeah. very meaningful metaphors. So you could take those and the the experience itself probably would have an effect for people, you know, just just doing it. Because I think, you know, for, for me, the idea is that um, we learn from our experiences. We learn in life. We, we learn from, from doing. Now, I, I've learned this lesson because I did that thing. And when you put somebody into a trance and you tell them a metaphor, you know, it's almost like they're having an experience virtually. True. Right? So it's like, for me, hypnosis is the next best thing. The best thing is to actually be doing it. And when it's sort of set up in this metaphorical way, where it's, whether it's like Milton saying, go climb Squaw Peak, or you guys having this ropes course thing, then it, you can be kind of setting up the metaphor that you're looking for. And the person has an experience that's that's meaningful, and the experience itself might, in fact, be all that they need. And I was always, the reason I like to hang out there is I love to witness what you guys did on the ground. Like you described the... Uh, conversation you had with your client, you know, on that little poll. But you, we would all sit around afterwards. Yes. You'd, you'd have discussions about what it meant. Like, what did that mean to you? So right. that that's where I thought the, the real, in a sense, artistry came into play, that the real coaching came out. Thank you. you, know, to, Thank to, you. to frame it in a way that people made that important connection with this is not just an event that happened here in Arizona or whatever, but it's, this, this is an experience I'm going to take home with me. And it really changes people's lives. Well, and, and I, thank you. That's, I, I'm, I'm honored to hear that from you. And I, like I say, I thought you and a few others just loved hanging out with us because we're fun people, but uh, all of that said, you know, it, it goes back to, to that quote that I shared with you earlier about from Milton. It's like, when we can create the change, that change then allows people to start making connections, doing their transderivational searches and figuring out where else can I use what I just demonstrated to myself I can do. And that's, that's the magic in my yeah. mind. That's yeah. the magic of that kind of experience. Yeah. But it's also, it's more than that though. It was, uh, you had a way of, being so gentle about it. You know, you, you asked questions, you, you asked, had people, you know, figure it out for themselves. You know, you, you had a way of, of saying, well, so what happened there? What do you think that meant? Yeah. Oh, you know, so you're just a really interesting way of, of so gently you know, <laughs> sort of guiding that. Do you think that comes from your Rogerian background? Do you think that comes from Milton? Do you think that's just something you figured out? Or is it, what is that? I'm I'm stumped by that question. Uh, I don't know where the source of that might have been. I mean, I'm even thinking all the way back to my mother. That was mm-hmm. that was her style of gently prodding questions of, you know, getting me to take a look at what I've learned or what I could do and how I could help and things of that sort, rather than being the teller 
Um, mm-hmm. This is what you need to do. Now that was opposite from my father, but nevertheless, it, <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, maybe, maybe that would have been where it originated. I, I don't, I don't know, Doug. Well, it seems like you and Terry had a very similar style in True. that area. Is it, a, is it an Oklahoma thing? Is it from? Yeah, it could be. I, I remember dating a gal from New York City once who made the statement. It's like all this time I thought folks who talk slow, people, she wouldn't say folks. I thought people who talk slow were just stupid. But it's, it's not necessarily true. So, you know, maybe it is an Oklahoma thing. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. maybe we're just stupid at a different level. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's what I was going for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, let me ask you this. So, when was the when did you stop doing the ropes courses? Um the challenge courses. The event that we were at in 2001, September of 2001, the the day of the um the planes crashing into the tower. Mm. We were in the midst of a program on um, on the Big Island in Hawaii with Tony, and that event. Pardon me. After that event, Tony made some major changes in the way his organization and the events were going to be held, and um, from that, so that. What is that? 2001. Um, within the next year, he flew us out to Fiji to his resort there. We constructed uh, the poles right there on the resort property. We trained some of the natives from the uh, nearby village to come in and at least be the safety features, the belayers. The um, we trained some of his staff to do the facilitation and at that point, we gave up that activity to the organization. So that was that was the last event we did for Tony. And then did you stop doing challenge courses completely? Because at some point you became no, a, a no, coach. no. Um, boy, all of those years kind of run together. Um, what? My wife and I and our and our family had already moved to Cal, uh, to Colorado. Um, we I, I was a part of a group here that built a challenge course at the number one dude ranch in the state of Colorado, and would continue doing our our business through that. Um, Terry had moved more into heavy. I shouldn't call it heavy, but more traditional type of consulting rather than the activity side, experiential side, um, would occasionally bring me back out to California to help facilitate some of those more uh, experiential activity-based programs that he would do. But um, that pretty much, yeah, we, we ended up running that course here in Colorado until about six years ago. And Doug, it, you know, at, at some point you just feel like you're done with something. Yeah. And that's where I was at that moment. And we ended up selling that course and 
to my knowledge, have not done, to, to my memory, have not done another ropes course, challenge course, facilitation since then. Okay. So, so let's go back to the, that method of that gentle way of coaxing and questioning that sort sure. of thing. Um, at some point, you transitioned into being a coach. Correct. Right. And you worked at, may I say this, with the Tony Robbins organization? That's, it, that's right. right. That's right. Um, I've, I've been there for 18 years, 18, 18 plus years now. So just about the 2001 time mm-hmm. period then. Okay. Right. So, and tell me about that. How, how is, is that, st- is that style still there where you're doing the sort of questioning and, and coaxing and what did you learn from that, you know, kind of stuff experience or, or is it, is it a very different style of coaching that you do with the Robbins organization when you do that? What is your uh, title, by the way? What is your, are you like chief executive coach or something like that? <laughs> what, what, is uh, <clears throat> what is my title? Master results, co- um, a master results coach. I also am considered a platinum partner coach, which is one of Tony's um, higher end um, uh, group of clients, customers. Um oh. I have worked as part of the training of new coaches. I've served as a mentor to other coaches. And uh, I've last few years, I've kind of moved more into what I'm referring to as semi-retirement. And uh, in in respect to that activity and uh, have let go of some of those additional duties. So it's pretty much just the, the coaching aspect. As far as the style of coaching, um, I, I would I would say two things about that. Yes, it's still the questions, the drawing out, the um, subtly challenging beliefs and attitudes and behaviors in terms of whether or not they are. Um, serving the client in a way to help them get the outcome. Um, I would probably also describe myself as a more prescriptive coach than most. And what I mean by that is it's not all just reflections. It is more directive than most coaching uh, approaches would 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 teach. Okay. Good. So I want to know more about that. So what does that mean? Because honestly, I thought it would be the opposite. I thought you would be less directive. I thought, you know, if I, when I think of a, a Tony Robbins. Well, well, Doug, go back and remember what got me started with the, the whole NLP in the first place, my yeah. impatience. Right, right. right. So if, if someone is sitting there and, you know, I, I see our job as coaches, um, it, it, it's to, expand the resources and choices available to our clients. Now that's, that's how I see a, the role of a coach. Okay. I'm sorry. Could you just say that one more time? I think that's. To ex- yeah. To expand the choices and resources that are available to our client. Okay. Now, if the client is stumped and unable to identify any additional resources, I, I remember recently a, a client raised a question with me and it's like, well, have you looked on Google for that answer? <laughs> yeah. And his, his response was, uh, not yet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
So in, in terms of being more prescriptive, more active, I am willing to what I like to think of, I, I may be just deluding myself, but I like to think of it as I'm willing to prime the pump, hmm. generating new ideas, new resources and choices. Cool. Now, just may I just point out that that's uh, no one knows what that means. I'm the pump. <laughs> I'm in the pump. <laughs> we mentioned you're my old friend. Um. <laughs> so maybe this is me in Oklahoma showing up. All right. Uh, prime the pump is the activity of adding water to a water to the actual pump. Why itself. would you do that? It's a pump. Why do you have to put water in a pump? In order to be able to bring the water up through the pipe from the well. It, it, if all you're doing is pumping initially, all you get is air. air yeah. And you've got to add the water into the tube of the pump right. to be able to draw the vacuum out and generate water from the source of the pump. It's about getting your result faster. How about that? <laughs> Let's just make it real simple. Metaphor. Pump, get your... <laughs> no, I, I knew what it meant. I, I knew what it meant. But, sure. Um... <laughs> Here you, New York. Yeah, right. I grew up on a farm, man. We had we literally had one of those pumps that um, you know you, you cranked like that, and uh-huh. uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. And I often wonder why we don't have them anymore. It was very effective, you know. It's like well, if the power goes out now, our pump doesn't work. Oh, yeah, that's not good. No. So, and we don't have the option to pump it ourselves. But yeah, sometimes you know, for the people that don't know, sometimes after overtime, if you're not using the pump, the water in the pipe sort of goes out and then the pipe is empty and and it won't work the pipe, so you've got to pour some more water down that pipe in order to bring you know create the the vacuum to bring the pump the water up to the top so it's a it's a great metaphor i just wanted to um, play with that a little bit but yes and um when you're doing coaching when you're being prescriptive like that um how how often do you do sessions the reason i'm asking this is this hold on one second um the reason i'm asking you this is this I think that when I was doing NLP back in the 80s, when I learned from Tony, et cetera, and Richard and everybody else, um, when when I did a session with somebody, I would say I was doing an NLP therapy. You know, I used uh-huh. the word therapy. This was, this was an NLP therapy technique or therapy session or whatever that we would do. It seems like over time, um, people have continued doing exactly the same processes but instead of calling them a therapy, we call it a, a coaching session or instead of doing coaching. I so agree. There's no difference really between those two things except for the word. And I I've also, I learned coaching a, a while back from a guy named Thomas Leonard that it was a very different process entirely. You know, it was really much more of a long-term conversation, if you will, where you're, mm-hmm. you know, getting on the same team and then you're playing with things. That's where the coaching metaphor came from is that you're, you're eliciting and coaching and making better um, and, 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 and playing. It's a, it's a, it's life is a game kind of concept. Um, when you do coaching, when somebody comes to you as a, as a super executive high platinum partner, coach person says, you know, I want to sign up for some coaching. What are they signing up for? What do they get? Is it a, is it five oh. sessions? Is it 10 sessions? Oh, oh, okay. I understand your question. Um, oh, let me separate the platinum partners. That membership is, is a year. So they have a year's worth of coaching. Okay. Um, once a week. Uh, 
three times a month is okay. the is, is the standard that that contract is based on. For non-platinum partners, there's a there's a, a number of different lengths and types of contracts they can purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the shortest is a three month contract, three times a month, so nine sessions. Um, the longest contract we have available is an 18 month package. Then there's two different levels of coaching. Like I mentioned, I'm, I'm a, what is referred to as a master level. So it's the, um, more expensive, uh, mm-hmm. more experienced coach. Um, the, the, the elite, they refer to it as the lower cost option. Um, you get the same number of sessions. It's just with a different level of experience of coach. Mm -hmm. Got it. Great. Cool. So, so you're not really looking for a a short term fix. You're not getting somebody over a phobia in five minutes like the old model is. Well, correct. Um, the, Correct. We, we're not looking for the short-term fix. We're, we're looking at, at how how can we continue to find ways of adding value, resources, new choices, in my description. How can we continue to provide value to that specific client? So, you know, in many cases, I've got a year-long contract with a client. And we may go through a series of new goals that they want to work on because we've been checking off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Neat. That's awesome. And one of the questions in this podcast that I always ask people because it is called the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast um, is what skills would you say or what skill perhaps would you say is essential for someone who wants to be, you know, an actually master level coach, not just one of those elite ones, but one of the master levels. We want to be one of the, the high paid expensive guys. What if you want to be a great coach? What what are some skills or a skill that somebody must have in order to do that? Yeah, you know, Doug, to me, that's kind of like asking the carpenter out of his toolbox, what's the most essential tool that he has? Mm. And I think if we were to ask a carpenter that question, the response might be, well, it depends on the project I'm working on. Hmm. And I believe the same is true with a coach. A coach had better have a pretty vast amount of tools available in their, in their toolbox. So to that end, if I were to answer the question, what's the most essential skill or ability as a master coach? It's the ability to make a choice of what's a, what, what's the best tool for this particular person at this particular time using the philosophy and results are only what, I mean, how, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Uh, any, any behavior we get as a result of using that particular tool, it, it's, it's only a result. It may not be the result we want, mm-hmm. 
but we've got to use our sensory acuity to be able to determine, did we get the result we intended? And if not, then let me go into my toolbox and get a, a different tool. Okay. So it's that ability to make decisions based on the presentations of a client as to how I can best serve them in that moment in time. Okay, cool. And and if I were to guess, a a bright questioner like yourself, an interviewer, would say, so how does one go about getting that? Well, you know, that, funny you should say that because I was just about to say, how would you go about getting that? I knew you would. No, no, I was really you're good. You're good, too good to miss yeah, that law. Okay. Um, <laughs> in, in many ways, it's it's simply time in the chair. It, it's it's experience. It's uh, having enough tools, being exposed to enough training and outside opportunities. You know, I work for Tony's organization, and yet my my library, while not as extensive as yours, <laughs> my my library has available tools from all kinds of of authors and um, experiences of different trainings that I've gone through myself. Mm-hmm. There's, it, it, I I can't just treat everything like it's a nail and try to hammer every every solution into that particular client. I, I don't know if that's an yes. answer you'll accept, but that's, that's I the don't. Answer. I will refuse to accept that answer. I'm going to strike it from the record. Um, yes, Bill. Discernment. So the, the skill, essential skill <laughs> is discernment. How about cool. that? I love it. And that's exactly what I was going to ask about, actually, is that, yes, I agree. And going back to the idea of, you know, when a person has an experience as a metaphorical experience, how do you frame it in such a way and ask the right question in such a way that their experience is meaningful long term? So as an example, if a person um, – so we say we learn from our mistakes. That's a common expression. We learn from our mistakes. What do we learn from our mistakes? Do, you know, well, That's a kind of an important question too because if I'm walking down the street and I trip and fall and I go like, oh, there's a lesson here to be learned. Yeah, like what? Like don't walk? Uh, yeah, well, exactly right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not cut out to be a walker. I, you know, I, I tried. I gave it a shot. I'm just. Some people can walk. I'm not one of those. You know, so you learn the wrong thing from the experience. So you have to have discernment. That's great. And yes, I would say it comes from experience because if you've been, you know, hours, years in the chair, kind of thing, as you said. Generally speaking, you better hope that you're getting discernment after all that experience. And you basically mentioned before that the difference between the elite coaches and the master coaches is experience, yeah. right? And yet, isn't it possible that a person can have experiences and not learn what they need to get in order oh, to establish God, yeah. discernment? So, well, how does I mean, all we've got to do is look around us and and know that's true, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it so so how do, one of the how do you actually get that ability to have discernment? Like as an example, a carpenter, you use that metaphor as a carpenter. Yeah, you can have a whole toolbox, but if you pick up the wrong tools, you're screwed. Or if you, you yeah. know, measure incorrectly, you know, if you, there's, there's an old carpenter says, you know, measure twice, cut once. At once. Right, yeah. So you have to have discernment. That's the, it seems like that's what you're saying is the most important skill is 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 discernment. How do you get that? Well, it, it, 
as as we say, a large part of that is is time in the chair. So just simply being on in, in coaching environments for years alone doesn't necessarily bring that level of discernment. Mm-hmm. The ability to recognize sensory acuity, back to that term, be able to recognize what is the result that intervention if we want to refer to it as, what is the result that intervention created and is it the result we were after mm-hmm. and the flexibility? I go back to a, a, a lesson I learned in graduate school, Doug, and I, I may have shared this with you so many years ago, but it, it I, I don't remember much from graduate school <laughs> statistics, but uh, I, in fact, we had to get the the professor on my softball team in order to be getting the the kind of relationship with him that allowed me to connect well enough to be able to pass the freaking course. Okay. But nevertheless, he, he made a statement and I've remembered this for so many years. If what you're doing isn't getting you the result you want, you have a higher probability of success by doing anything else. Got it. I refer to it as the law of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've got to use our sensory acuity to recognize, am I getting the result I want? I'm getting some result. Is it the one I wanted? Right. If not, I've got to recognize it's time to do something different. Beautiful. And so that it's also about, well, um, the, the flexibility that that's important. Um, you know, and one more metaphor, if you will, you go to a foreign country and you try to order a a, um, a bagel or something of that sort, and the bagel doesn't translate, and Americans have a tendency to repeat the same word louder and louder in an effort to get understood. We've got to change our approach, and that ability to be flexible is so critical as a coach in order to be able to help our clients achieve the results they want. Great. Great. Thank you. The other question I I often ask um, people on this podcast is to be a coach um, successfully, not only does one need to be able to get results for our clients, but we also need to be successful, you know, as a business person, hmm. we need to market ourselves. We need to, you know, get on a, a coaching service like you did with Tony Robbins's coaching, whatever that's called. And how, what, what, you, what would you say is an essential skill for someone who, you know, wants to be a coach professionally and maybe is just starting out in the business or maybe they want to be more successful in the way that they are already? I, if, if, especially if you're going out on your own, as opposed to working for a, a yeah, an organization, that's, that's, that's I, I think I think there's there's it's critical for a coach to understand who my client ideal client is. What's the what am I what am I best capable of delivering and that 
recognition of if this is my ideal client, knowing how do I go about, if, if you mentioned marketing, ooh, how do I go about becoming known to that particular client? How do I go about connecting with folks who have that kind of need in their life and being able to make that as the initial connection. Now, again, if we go back to that flexibility and, and, and all that we were just talking about in terms of an essential skill, I think that fits here as well. We've got to be able to keep trying different ways of marketing to our client, to our field of clients, prospects Mm -hmm. that we begin honing in on the specific niche of of clientele that we can best serve. I'm assuming at that point that the coach is capable of delivering results. But to be able to get that rifle shot as opposed to shotgun shot, Mm -hmm. direct communicate to that particular target. Fantastic. No, that's great. That's, that is, uh, yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. I, I, I do think that is a, a fantastic answer to this because when I've done internet marketing, et cetera, they, they are always saying, well, who is your avatar? Who, who is it yeah, you're talking yeah. to? Who is this, this, you know, ideal office? Because, you know, we, other people have answered the question saying you have to have a niche or a niche, depending on how they pronounce it. And, but the idea is that, yeah, I, I say I'm not just a, a success coach, but I am a success coach for dentists or I'm a success coach for, yeah. you know, for little league baseball, you know, and, and you, you narrow it down. And then you say to yourself, well, what kind of dentist, you know, is dentist first starting out in the business and long established dentist, dentists want to grow their practice. You know, the more that you can say, I'm talking to that guy. So I'm talking to that woman. You know, if yes. I, you know, the more that you can have that in your mind, the more it's going to fine tune your, marketing approach and we'll also like if you do google advertising or whatever you're going to you know narrow down you know the, the you got to get the proper search terms don't yeah, you yeah you do yeah you do so that's that's a great answer i really really appreciate Thank that you. and i think it's spot on absolutely beautiful good oh thank god <laughs> so not not just a pretty face look at you Bill Baker, that's awesome. Hey, so Bill, if people wanted to get hold of you, if they wanted to do some coaching or find out more information about Bill Baker and Bill Baker Enterprises, um, besides Colorado, how could we narrow our search to find Bill Baker? Sure. Um, my email address would be a great way to do it. And by the way, I, I am able to, to work with clients outside of the Tony Robbins world. So uh, I have limited availability, but that is, is certainly a, an option. Uh, I can be reached at Bill Baker at lead, L-E-A-D hyphen on dot com. Bill Baker at lead dash on dot com. Lead on. Good. Lead dash on dot com. Beautiful. Yep. And is lead dash on dot com a, a website? If we're, if it is. Website? Yes. Yes. Cool. I will check it out. Leadon.com. Thank you. Bill Baker, it is always, always a a joy to hang out with you, even when you're not working a ropes course. Well, thank you. (laughs) I, 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 you know, it's been fun. We've known each other now for so many years and, and to be able to have the connections like this, even after some period of time has elapsed, it's, it's fun to reconnect and 
just go right back to where we were when we last spoke. Yeah. I love it. So thank you so much for being here and um, hope to see you again real soon. Let's make it happen. Thank you, Doug. I've enjoyed it. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.